Welcome back to Repod, the University of Solvers research podcast. And if it's the first time you've joined us, you'll hear conversations with researchers across the university from every school, from every discipline, talking about our vibrant research culture. And today we have a fascinating conversation with Dr. Scott Thurston, who's a reader in English and creative writing and the research lead for English literature, language and the creative practice research group. And we'll be talking about Scott's journey into research through poetry. Enjoy. Morning, Andy. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And for those that are joining us for the first time, this is ReFest, the festival of research at the University of Salford. And every morning we have a YouTube live with one of our researchers. And I'm really delighted to meet you, Scott, because I we haven't had a chance to meet before and your work sounds absolutely fascinating. So tell us a little bit about what you do at the university and your areas of specialism. Sure. Well, um, my main role is that I'm research lead for the English language, literature and creative practice research group in the um, School of Arts, Media and Creative Technology. And um, that means I'm responsible for managing the research careers of my colleagues, which is a fantastic honour and privilege. And um, I've been doing that for about six years. I've actually been at Salford for nearly 18 years, if you can imagine that. Um, and the last few years in my research lead role, I've been uh, responsible for our department's submission to the Research Excellence Framework. Um, so that's been taking up a lot of my time uh, in, in recent years. Um, but I suppose my main role as I arrived at Salford as a lecturer in creative writing and English literature and uh, specialising in poetry and that's increasingly what I spend most of my time doing is teaching people how to read and write poetry and also poetry with a sort of innovative and experimental bent is kind of my, my particular interest. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So, so going back 17 years ago before you arrived at, at Solvent, how does one get into sort of becoming a lecturer? What was your entry point into that area? Yeah, it's, it's not such a long story in a way. I mean, I did an undergraduate degree in English and linguistics at um, the University of East Anglia, shortly after which I went and taught English in Poland. Um, planned to go for six months, stayed for two and a half years and um, married a Polish person and speak <laughs> Polish, almost well. feel half Polish sometimes. And um, I came back um, with my partner to do a PhD uh, in creative writing, actually just up the road at Edge Hill in, in Ormskirk. Um, and actually with my old English teacher who taught me A-level English when I was at a technical college in, in Surrey where I grew up. So yeah. I sort of followed him to the Northwest and uh, was, was living in Liverpool. Um, completed the PhD, was cutting my teeth on teaching as an associate lecturer at Edge Hill. Started, um, there, were, there were always good connections actually between Salford and Edge Hill, so I became aware quite early on of what was going on over here. Um, I think I first came to a major poetry conference at Salford around 2001, 2002, and when Salford decided to launch a new undergraduate degree in English and creative writing, I was hired to 
design it and uh, launch it. So um, I had this wonderful privilege of starting a new program and a new chapter in the in the history of the English department here, which goes back over 30 years. So uh, I feel I've been very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time to uh, begin that development. And that's led to a master's program in creative writing and so PhDs in creative writing, which I've had a hand in as well. That's really fascinating to hear. And I know at Salford, especially in the School of Arts, Media and Creative Technology, we do so much creative work. And I wonder, how is it for someone that sort of specialises in poetry? What have you seen change over your period as, as a lecturer and researcher in terms of the sort of poetic or spoken word? How has those, form, those art forms changed over that period? Mm, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think poetry has become increasingly more culturally visible in, in all sorts of ways. I think an, an, an obvious answer um, to that is, you know, through through the medium of social media, that writers are able to connect with audiences in in many many different ways that that weren't available before. Um, so it's been very interesting to see how publishing, in particular, has evolved to sort of take advantage of that. So. Whereas I used to publish when I was starting out in little magazines and small presses, which were you know, the physical books. Now I'm more than likely to be publishing um, in online magazines and sometimes e-books. Um, and that, that transition, I think, has also interestingly fed back into the dynamism of the live form of the art. I think poetry has always been live as well as for the page. Um, yet I think perhaps because of the, the, the growth in the digital world, there's also been a kind of counterbalance to an interest in, in the live experience. Um, I ran a poetry reading series uh, with two colleagues in Manchester uh, for 10 years called The Other Room. And um, we showcased over, I think, 400 poets over that time and just saw an incredible variety of the, the art at its cutting edge, really, in terms of performance. And curiously, the digital coming back into the performance space. So often you'd have somebody performing live, um, but with a video behind them or a recording or interacting with some kind of um, computer-generated effects. So, so I think, yeah, this has all meant that the audiences for poetry are, are much kind of broader and more diverse, I think, than they've ever been. And you can access and relate to poetry um, in so many different ways. And probably insta-poetry as a, as a whole new genre um, that's, that's kind of evolved in, in response to what you can do within that uh, platform. Um, I think that, that kind of exemplifies where, where things have gone. I, I couldn't have imagined insta-poetry, um, you know, when I started out, even though the internet obviously was around and people were using it to publish. Um, but for actual platforms now to evolve new formal possibilities for poetry that didn't exist before, I think it's extremely interesting. I think that will keep on growing and developing as, as, as we go further into this world. Definitely. I remember reading, I think it was a BBC article from a few months ago about a an AI program that has written poetry. And I, mm. I can imagine those are, I mean, they're interesting because generative art is, of course, a very well-established sort of art form, I think, now. But I wonder, how do you feel about those sorts of things? Do you see them as creatively just part of the experimental stage of poetry? Or is it something you feel is is, is detrimental to the art form? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've probably answered that question at different times, depending on um, <laughs> feeling or thinking about. But um, I, yeah, the, the, the whole issue of technique in poetry is so fascinating because um, I think if you're starting out as a writer, and you have access to language. If you're if you're literate, you you have an immediate um, mode of expression that can be very direct. Um, that in a sense doesn't look as if it requires much much craft or or technique. Um, whereas I think you know in order to really um, become recognised as a poet, there's a there's there's a lot to absorb from from the history of writing and from from different technical approaches from how you use rhythm in a line, um, how you shape a line with sound patterns, um, how you use imagery and metaphor to, to create certain effects. I think once we get to um, different kinds of procedural ways of, of creating um, new writing, it's just updating the techniques. And even if, say, like uh, John Cage was doing back in the 1960s, you're creating computer programs that are effectively mixing and sorting material that you've given um, the computer in advance and creating a new combination which becomes your poem. Um, there's a huge amount of individual creativity and inventiveness in, in how you handle that technique. So um, I think sometimes like any kind of uh, poetry, um, although I suppose there's nothing really absolute about poetry, a, a lot of what's considered good or bad or indifferent, I think, really comes down to taste. Um, I think those techniques can be used more or less well to express something new and interesting. And mm. uh, whether you happen to be using a traditional form like a sonnet or whether you're using a computer to write, I think it still comes down to the creative ingenuity and resources of the writer and what, what you want to say, ultimately. Um, some of those can have, you know, spectacularly good results. And sometimes it can be, you know, a, a poem that you might have achieved by any other means can, can, can be produced by a very kind of complex procedure, but it might just look as if it had just been written spontaneously. So you can't always see the technique sometimes or work out how the poem was arrived at. But the important thing, does it communicate meaning to you? And, mm. and I think that's what's always interesting um, as a reader uh, regardless of how something comes into being mm. that's really interesting and i wonder I'm curious because we had a pgr on the stream last week talking about uh, practice as research and i wonder how those two things sort of come together in your work i've seen photographs of you in a sort of open mic settings are you a performing poet yourself and is that something that connects closely with your research Absolutely, they're, they're completely intertwined for me and um, particularly since I've started to move into the area of dance and poetry, um, okay. my performance, my approach to performance has, has changed quite radically. Um, so yeah, there's a kind of evolution for me in, in terms of scholarly work that I, um, that I still continue to do on experimental poetry. I, I edit an academic journal called the Journal of British and Irish Innovative Poetry and, um, uh, and I write articles about the, the history of experimental writing in the UK and, and in America but I'm also practicing 
um, my craft as a poet and as a performer and all of the things that I learn from my from my scholarly work are effectively feeding into my writing in the same way that my writing and performing also informs my interests as a as a critic or as a, as a scholar. Um, I've just published an article about a fabulous artist called Jennifer Pike, um, who's not alive anymore, but was an extraordinary multidisciplinary artist. Um, I was particularly interested in her work with dance and movements, um, mm. performing alongside her husband, Bob Cobbing, who was a major sound and concrete poet. And um, at the same time, I'm trying to make my own hybrid performance work with dance and poetry. So I, I clearly kind of found a lot to learn from Jennifer Pike's work, which I'm sort of applying and thinking about through my own practice. So that practice and research relationship is absolutely integrated for me. And I think it's I think it's been there even since, you know, I was studying my A-levels in English and uh, writing about poetry and realising this was helping me to write poetry and, and the, the interaction was kind of seamless. That's really interesting. I, I often, you've mentioned a few times sort of where you've been and I often think about the importance of, of context to the to any art form actually and I was thinking you mentioned earlier Liverpool and I was wondering about things like the Mersey Sound and how those different environments of, 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 of performed poetry have shaped your own development really do you feel that those things have been influential like where you are and what's around you in terms of that live experience mm, absolutely i mean it's funny growing up in surrey that i was you know very fond of bands from the salford area um, uh, the fall in particular is still sort of one of the most important groups to me um joy division and the, and the smiths um, when I wound up in Liverpool, there's a whole legacy, as you've mentioned, of live poetry, which I tapped into and found very energising and, and exciting to be around. And um, there's a long history of sort of avant-garde performance, um, generally theatre experiments that have, that have gone on in Liverpool for many years. I sort of really tapped into that when I was beginning to sort of raise my game with my explorations in dance um, by linking up with a group called the Liverpool Improvisation Collective who are based at mm. Blue Coat. And okay. um, I, I learned a huge amount from them about contemporary dance forms like contact improvisation. And I showed some of my first kind of hesitant works in progress as a sort of dancer slash poet at, at the Blue Coat, um, must be eight or nine years ago now. And um, so definitely that has been a huge influence, but also sort of simultaneously uh, living in Liverpool, working in Salford, being able to draw on the, the, the powerhouse of Manchester and Salford as a sort of literary um, goldmine, really, in, in the UK. And that's what made a, an event like The Other Room possible, where we, we drew in poets from all over the world to, to that event. It really sort of um, helped put Manchester on the map for that particular kind of work, the experimental stuff. Um, obviously, there was an awful lot on offer in Manchester before, but we were able to sort of bring a new flavour to it and find a ready and, and available audience. Mm. So I think these sort of vibrant um, cities in the northwest have given me such a lot in terms of, you know, how I've linked to their cultural history, but also helped to 
be involved in, in creating new initiatives. And of course, my um, my my interest in dance and poetry have taken me all over um, to places like New York City and Berlin um, to study with people who have been kind of working this line between poetry and dance. So um, there are other other places involved that, that also get drawn back into where, where I'm living and working. Well, it's, it's certainly fascinating to hear those different about those different environments. And I think you're right. We are really spoiled in the northwest of England, where we have such vibrant artistic communities. And I think for me, working with organisations in Manchester, like the Manchester International Festival or Abandoned Normal Devices Festival, there's a real willingness to experiment, I think, in the northwest and to try to test out new art forms, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, this is what was so thrilling. Um, about starting up the other room when we um, we sort of did 10 years and decided to, to call it a day and give give room to other initiatives and um, in that time uh, two even three other reading series have developed now devoted to different shades of experimentalism um, within the scene so there are there are ones which are more interested in promoting local authors, those that are more interested in the, the interface between um, poetry and other art forms like film and visual art. Um, there's another night um, which had Arts Council funding called No Matter, which um, was really interested in promoting diversity and kind of ensuring a, a kind of a much wider range of experimental writers were, were on offer. So yeah, it's been absolutely thrilling to, to feel that we sort of we, we dropped something into the pond and the ripples have really extended out and, and continue to unfold uh, in, in all sorts of interesting ways. So um, yeah, it's been great to be involved in that. And how have things been over the sort of COVID period? Has performance and poetry been able to flourish in a digital world or has it been a bit challenging? Well, yeah, there, there have been challenges. I know that, um, yeah, the live scene obviously has had to take a complete break, but the way in which people have moved on to the online platforms for sharing poetry has been absolutely thrilling. And I've seen uh, incredible amounts of work um, online, um, and particularly from poets who I wouldn't normally have an opportunity to see live. So um, that, that's been really exciting. Um, yes, I've seen kind of Pulitzer Prize winning poets whose work I've followed for years, um, giving live readings to camera, and it's just been really, uh, really fascinating. For myself, um, I've actually had an opportunity to play with some of the um, kind of built-in technical facilities of Zoom to create dance performances using videos and photos, um, playing with the green screen function. So at times I've created the effect of uh, dancing with myself and as well as other dancers whilst I've been performing online. And that's enabled me to do performances in, that were hosted in India, in Chile, in Paris, in California. Um, so I've, I've, again, I've found myself reading and performing in ways that I've never imagined in places that I wouldn't normally have access to. So um, I think poetry has really found new ways of, of, of being and working in the online event that, 
that I hope will still continue. I mean, it wasn't unheard of to have online readings, but not in the intensity and frequency that we're, we're doing at the moment. So I think new forms and ways of doing things are evolving in, in very interesting ways. Yes, they really are. And I, I'd love to see some of those. Is there any way people can find some of your work? Where would you guide people to, to locate what you're doing and perhaps see some of what you've, what you've performed? Oh, yes. Well, um, yeah, I guess just Google me. There's lots of stuff. I, I guess I've got fingers in so many um, different pies that um, there's probably not a one-stop shop. But, um, yeah, follow me through social media. Um, the other room website um, still exists in more of a kind of archive function, but we do okay. post um, data and information about events there from, from time to time. Um, but yeah, I think I'm generally out there if you want to seek me out in <laughs> terms of various um, various performances and, uh, and, and offerings, publications online. I mean, my, um, my own user page here gives access to some of the um, kind of book-length publications of poetry. Um, there's also, I have a page at Shearsman Books, um, which is uh, a publisher who's published three collections in a critical, uh, well, a book of interviews that I did about 10 years ago. Um, so that's also a good place to get a kind of introduction to, to my work. Um, yeah, I think that probably <laughs> covers it. Now. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Thanks. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Scott. It's great to hear about your work. And I, I love having these conversations because I learned so much also about the history of Salford University and, and get a sense of that development. And uh, yeah, I hope to see some of your performances in the future where we get back together physically and, and be able to see these sorts of things at live events. Thanks so much, Andy. And thanks for having me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care, Scott. Bye bye. Cheerio. Well, that was Dr. Scott Thurston from the School of Arts, Media and Creative Technology. I'm always glad to squeeze in a bit of AI in a conversation about poetry. So we'll see you again next week for another episode of Repod. You know where to subscribe. Don't forget to like, follow and share. Take care all.